Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 36 to 47. Um, at the end of the reading, I would say, this is the word of the Lord, and um, you're all to respond, thanks be to God. Acts 2, 36 to 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were caught with they were caught to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you to God. Thank you very much, Ale. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see us. And also a special welcome to those who are with us for the first time. Or if you've been with us for the second time, it's nice to see you again. Okay, um, we've been, uh, church, we've been going through a series that we've called uh, the gospel-centered urban church. Now, if you're new here, the gospel-centered urban church is how we like to identify ourselves. So we say this church is a gospel-centered urban church. And we are trying to unpack that to um, show what we, that really means. We don't want to be a church that, uh, you know, we just keep, you know, saying the thing and actually it doesn't mean anything. So being a gospel-centered urban church, well, there are three things that are there. And we've been looking at this series, uh, those three things in this series from September to November. So in September, we looked at gospel, and we looked at the gospel story, the gospel status, the gospel life, and the gospel hope, because we're gospel-centered. We're gospel-centered. Then last month, we looked at uh, the urban part, which was mission, because the urban there represents where we who have received the gospel are meant to take the gospel to. We are in an urban setting, the city of Lagos. And two things we looked at there, the first two messages were on evangelism, taking the good news out. But the last three messages were on the integration of 
Christianity and work. Because those who have received the gospel ought to be transformed, but they have to have a different worldview on dealing with work. So if you've, never, if you've not been able to listen to any of those messages, I encourage you to, and we'll tell you how you can get them uh, later in the, in the meeting. This month is our month of community, so we are looking at the part of church. We're looking at the part of church. So this is the first message in that, and we'll have three other messages, and we'd love to have you stay with us for all of them. Now, let me start by saying this. You know, human beings, we are alike, all of us. As, you know, I can see everyone here. You've got one mouth, one nose, two eyes, two ears, two hands, two legs, ten fingers, ten toes. And with these similarities, we find some kind of unity. Similarities unite. And yet, we're also different. We are different genders or sexes. Some people are from different countries, even though I think we're all from the same country here. We have different skin colors. OK, we have the same skin colors here. But you know, you know what I mean. And also, there are different languages. And if the similarities unite, then in many ways, this is what we find in the world, the differences divide. And we often think that unity is good. Division is bad. Let's take the language issue, for instance. I don't know how many of us, maybe you've gone to a foreign country or you're in another part of the country where you're not from, and then all of a sudden, you know, everyone's speaking English, and then all of a sudden, some people just switch to uh, their local languages. How does that make you feel? Quite often, immediately lets you know where you belong. You know, you are excluded or you are now divided from the people that you are once interacting with. Sometimes, you know, I'm sure many of us that go to salons experience that, you know, they're doing your hair, you say something nasty, they've been talking in English, all of a sudden they switch to their language and you know what they're doing there, right? And they're smiling at you as they're doing it. The language divides. And, you know, if you've been in a foreign country as well, that kind of thing, even if you're trying to learn the language, you start getting a headache. You're just like, I don't even know what to do it. But there's something about being excluded, especially with that language thing, that language barrier. There's something, there's an angst that we feel about that division. How do we explain it? Well, one way, an objective uh, reason that the Bible gives for that angst would take us all the way to Genesis, the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 11. What happened was that God had created human beings, Adam and Eve, and one of the things that God told them in Genesis 1, 27, 26, 27, 28, was that these two had to multiply, and then they had to fill the whole world. So he not only told them to be fruitful and multiply, but he says you should fill the earth. In other words, they were not meant to stay in one place. They were meant to scatter over the earth. Now, we know sin came in. They started bringing rebellion. The world was multiplied, but they were all sinful against God. God destroyed but left eight. And after he left those eight, those ones still multiplied and brought sin. And at this point, now in Genesis 11 verse 1, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for who? Ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered over the whole face of the earth. So what did they do? They were meant to scatter, but they decided to camp in one place and then build a tower. It was called a ziggurat. It's, it's some kind of temple. All right? Now in verse 6, it says, 
The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. First passage, we see what the division of language brought. It was a sign of judgment. Because what had happened was they were united quite all right in language, but that unity expressed a deeper sense of unity, a disturbing one. It was a unity that was together. They came together to rebel against God. It says, let us build, uh, let us build this tower and make a name for who? Ourselves, instead of God. So they were united to rebel against God, and this was reflected in their unity of language. So what did God do? There was a pragmatic reason for God dividing the languages, but at the same time, as they scattered over the earth, they were still united in sin, but now they could not do what they wanted to accomplish. Do we understand that? So that then brings me to the setting of the passage we read in Acts chapter 2. Some stuff had happened in Acts chapter 1, but now there was, if you read 2, 1 to 4, the people were waiting, Jesus had told them, his disciples, that they should wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon them. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, it says that they began to speak in tongues or in different languages. Now, people had come from all over the Jewish diaspora. They're now coming to Jerusalem because there's a feast, one of their uh, three great feasts, the Feast of Pentecost. So many people are coming. Now, these people don't all speak the same language. They all follow the same God through the Jewish religion, but they speak different languages. And as these people are speaking, all of a sudden they start hearing, these people are speaking in our own languages. So all of them were filled, verse 4 of chapter 2, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language. Verse 9b, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, what happened? Before we had a people through languages that were divided, yes, with those languages, but they were united in their rebellion against God. Now, what did God do when he poured out his spirit? God did not bring them, give them one new ethnic language, but he gave them one new redemptive language, and they still spoke it in their own languages. In other words, God redeemed that which he had judged by dividing people, and now he united them in the Holy Spirit. What was the redemptive language they had? They said they heard them in their own languages, what? Declaring the wonderful works of God. In other words, many people try, and they do an admirable job, but it's not totally complete, this whole division that we have. So like in Nigeria, we have one nation. And this one nation is a geographic reality that is meant to unite different peoples, different Yorubas, Tiv, Idoma, Nupe. Or you have the United Nations, which has, is, a, is a unity that has 
or 200 and something languages. But we find these things don't, they've not really accomplished what they want to accomplish. And in fact, there's even some kind of uh, contradiction. There was one Nigerian musician that said, waiting united for United Nations. Because then, both Libya and America that were somewhat at war were there. So is there the Libya and America there? Is there that Argentina and uh, Britain were, but they were fighting over the Falkland Wars? So there was a kind of manifest contradiction in this unity. These people are united, but yet they are fighting wars. So there are admirable attempts, but how can we achieve this? Well, God says, I will do this through one new human race in one community. They are called the church. And I will do this by pouring out my spirit upon all of them. So that even though they speak different ethnic languages, they will have one redemptive language. So that in worship, they are all doing one thing. They are declaring the wonderful work of God. Now, if this is an objective reality about community and church, we have to ask the question, how does this work? Because the church is meant to be a community, community. And it's on that that I want us to look at this message, a united people. The church is called to be a united people. So we look at this under three headings. One, physical unity. Two, devotional unity. And three, gospel unity. Physical unity, devotional unity, and then gospel unity. If we look at verse 44 of the uh, reading that Larry um, took for us, it says this, all the believers were together. Everyone say together. All the believers were together. What does this mean? Well, does this mean that they all lived under the same roof? Uh, most likely not. Why? There were at least one, more than 3,000 people. Right? We saw that there were 3,000 people there that were converted up in, um, in uh, verse 41. You see, what does together mean? Together actually refers to being in close proximity with a person or people. Far from when we think about church, now, you know, we've gone to good, we've had good Sunday school training, and one of the things they tell you about church very, very quickly is church is not a, church is not a, it's not a building, right? We, we often know that. It's the, it's the people. But quite often now, functionally, we think of church, yes, not as a building, but we think of church as what's happening, the activities that are going on. And here it's saying, no, church is the people together. The people together. Now, how does it show or demonstrate that these people were together? Look at verse 46. It says, every day they continue to meet together. Every day they continue to meet together. So this togetherness is reflected in regular meetings. In other words, you cannot have, or I cannot say, have you ever seen a football club? So um, let's take Manchester United now, because I love to. Are they playing today? May they lose. All right, so let's, let's not get into that. Back to the sermon. sermon. But let's take Manchester United. Let's take Manchester United. It's warm-up time. They're about to play. They're playing Chelsea? We'll just leave that aside. Just, just let's, we're, we're not talking about us now. Now, Manchester United are playing Chelsea, so it's time for warm-up. It's time for warm-up. And so United players go out, and they go to warm-up. And then David De Gea 
and Anthony Martial believe that, hey, I don't want to be there. I'd like to train with Chelsea today. How about that? Right? That's not going to happen. Why? Part of the reason why we know that Manchester is united and not divided is that they stay together. And they don't stay together if he says, well, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll train with them this week. But next week against Southampton, nah, I'm training with the Saints. I'm training with the Southampton guys. It's not going to happen. Why? Because they have to be together regularly. Every day, the believers continued to meet together. In other words, physical presence is essential to community. This togetherness was expressed in space and time reality. Space, they were physically together. And time, they were regularly together. Because regular physical presence symbolically represents togetherness. Yeah, social media, we kind of know. What, what, what is social media? We, it's this new platform that we use through the internet that tells us that tells us that we can have friends beyond the space barrier, right? Just say, you know, notification has come in. Will you be my friend? I will be your friend. Accept. We are now friends. But it fools us to thinking that we truly... You know, the funny thing about the social media is uh, Funlayo and I will be talking together, and then something has come up. Then Funlayo brings up her phone like... <laughs> And she's on the phone, and I am right there with her. So, please excuse me. And she's doing this. Why? She's talking to her friends because she's in some kind of community, some cyber community that transcends the realities of space. But again, as I say, it fools us to thinking that we can truly be in community. The second one is individualism. Now, by individualism, I'm talking about thinking or a concept that puts you as the individual at the center of your universe, whether because you have attained to some kind of self-sufficiency, so I am I, uh, self-sufficiency or self-protection. So individualism is not just whether or not you are full of yourself. It may be because you are not at all full of yourself, but you are at the center so when you're thinking about community, part of the problem is that you would say, I don't like being questioned. Right? It depends on how you feel or what you fear. They are out to get me. See, I can't really commit to them because I know what's going to happen. When I get there, they'll start trying to judge me or they'll start trying to get me to the... Uh, they're out to get me. And it's just me against the world. Or I just... You know, I don't like being... Who are they to question me? You know, that's, that's the problem with church. Eh? You go there, you want to worship God and all that. Before you know it, somebody will ask you, why didn't you come? That's the problem. Can't we all just respect ourselves and let's just all worship God? And again, that is the problem with individualism. Let, let me even tease this out a little bit further. How does this work in the church? Now, these days, uh, this thing they call connection. I don't know this word. Connection is a buzzword now. Connection, especially in our electronic age, you know, because everything now we are plugging, so we are connecting, you know, did, did your internet connect, did your decoder connect, you know, so everybody, it's all about connection, connection. 
So if you take non-Christians, for instance, I was listening to a particular non-Christian recently, and she, she's saying, I am not a Christian, I don't like religion and all of those things, but she wants spirituality. She wants spirituality, but not religion. And by that, she meant that she wanted connection with the divine without religion's rules. You see, I want to still have a relationship with the divine, but I don't need him to tell me all of these things. I just need to do what? Commit. And this, you can look at them and mock them, but it started in the church. It started in the church because many times Christians started to emphasize, I don't want, we don't want religion. Religion is bad. What we want is a relationship, a connection with God. I just want to connect. You know why I don't go there? I don't feel the connection with God. And not the God who is going to tell me I can't wear, you know, once they start, God starts telling me I can't wear this, I can't wear that. No, I don't want that. That's religion. But I just want to feel his presence. I want to embrace him. I want to be connected. So connection is the order of the day. We want to be connected, but this, if you uh, want to be connected, but this does not need regular presence. So I also want to be connected with the church. So in this regard, I want um, we, it, it, this kind of thinking produces two kinds of Christians. One is the connected Christian. The other one is the committed Christian. In this, in this um, place that we read, is looking for committed Christians. The other one that we are like is connected Christians. So who is a connected Christian? Look, first thing, late arrival, early departure. Right? I don't want anybody in my business. What time is church? Church is, what time does service kick off? 9.30. Is Niger, there must be some African time there. You know, the ushers will be looking funny if I came in at exactly 9.30. So you know what? I'll leave my house at 9.30. So you get in like 9.45. What time do you guys finish? Eh, 11.15. So by the time that time, word will have been over. I've gotten my connection with God. We did worship. We connected God and I. We're good. God, we're good. All right, fine. 11.10, you just do like you're going to the toilet, right? But you know how you do it. You go to the toilet, and you just cross your face. Late, uh, late arrival, early what? But committed Christians are those who arrive early and depart what? Later. If you are truly about community. What else? See service in church as only for staff and workers. Right? Why is this chairs not put in the right place? Ibuku? Dami? Admin? I mean, you guys are being paid after all, right? What do you even do? You only work on Sundays. Whereas, a committed... <laughs> a committed one sees service in church as the job of all members. Then... How about a connected person says she's being held to account only as a threat or an invasion of privacy? Once church people start getting into my business, this is what I don't like. Why can't you leave me alone? What else? I've given, I've prayed, I've sung, I've listened to message. What else? When you start trying to invade my space and ask me questions. Mm -mm. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have the right to do that. All I'm saying is that you're not fulfilling what this, this text is saying. Whereas since being held to account only as an expression of love and care, even where inappropriate. In other words, we're saying that sometimes people ask and they don't ask appropriately. But you don't get offended. You see it as love that has been, in, has been expressed inappropriately. And I should move on. 
Weight does not want to be, does not ask to be served, whereas we should seek ways out to serve. And this other one feels like their circumstances of pain are legitimate for keeping them away. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't. God knows what you are going through. And God says, you should be in community. You should be in community. Another one is, I don't think it's here, but they ask little, ask little of how things are being run in the church and makes lots of self-informed assumptions. Okay, it's there. Feels no need to, so you don't come and then you feel no need to explain why they are not at meetings. Now again, that, that, I, that one is particularly interesting to me because when you're in church, you're not in a cult. Nobody says, you must tell me why you didn't come. But you see it as a sense of responsibility that I am in a family with these people. I am not going to be around, so I should let you know. It's like, well, who cares? Why should they know? I'm doing running my own business. Again, this is the difference between being committed and being connected. Or having thin relationships or having fake relationships. And then you can see um, the other... Uh, the other ones there. All right? Now, can I say this? That this is why you can take off the slide, I'm done. This is why, and maybe I, 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 should, I should focus my lens on one or two of us here now. I don't know where it is, so I'm not targeting anyone. But this is why you just cannot say that you are a member of many churches. There is no such thing. You can be a member of only one church. Now, you are a member of the global body of Christ. You are united with all believers through the Holy Spirit. For all believers who have gone and all believers that will come, that will receive the Holy Spirit, we are united in the Holy Spirit in that way and in the global church. But Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And he wrote to the church at Colossae. And when he was writing to the church in Colossae, the people that were in Colossae were not in Corinth. The people in Corinth were facing different problems to the people that were in what? Colossae. You are part of the local, uh, the global body of Christ, but this has to be expressed in a local church. So you can't say, well, today I went to this church, tomorrow I, I've met many people. What church? Ah, I'm part of church. By that I mean I visit this one here, I visit that one there, I visit this one there. Now I'm not talking about if you're in transition, if you're trying to find out whether one church fits you or I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about perennially hopping from one church to the other so that you can never be kept accountable and you want to continue being connected to God without being committed to his people. That the Bible does not allow for. So, again, you can only be part of one global church. Now, this is not an argument for small over large churches. Because some of us we hear we say, ah, you know what, I like City Church because it's a small church. Look, let me, let me talk to you. Most of my life, I have been part of small churches. They're not sexy at all. <laughs> small churches are where you have the most amount of fighting. Right? I have been part of, I've seen churches of 80 people who have divided four times. Right? Because sometimes we think, uh, when in a small church, we can all know each other. But notice there were 3,000 people here. 
And what it says there in verse 46 is that they met together where? In the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes. So rather than talk about large or small, the issue is that there's a place for the whole and there's a place for the parts. And this is why we have gospel communities, for instance, in this church. That is, yes, we recognize that you cannot know everyone here in this kind of meeting that is set for the number of hours, but you can really be committed when it's broken down in smaller parts. And that's what they did. They didn't eat in the whole. That's why I'm going to ban sandwiches early in the morning very soon. But you can eat when you are in small parts. You can pray with one another in the smaller parts. And this is why we like to say that church should not be, if you're only connecting on Sunday, really church has become for you an event center. Right? It's an event center. They put up a show. They've served me. I'm gone. But no real relationship. But they met in the temple courts, and they also met where? In the homes. I'll give one more example why this is important. Some would say, just showing up. Are you just saying physical? That's it. Just show up. How about what we do? Well, let me say this. How do you, I've given this example before. How do you achieve, why is it that when a government comes in, we're always talking about how the government, if, if the economy is doing badly, we blame the government. Now, governments shouldn't, but governments don't create wealth. You know that. Governments cannot or should not be in the business of creating wealth. Because if the government becomes part of the people that are in, uh, in the market, it's the government. They can set the rules to ensure that they always get all the contracts. So governments don't create wealth. But what do governments do? Governments create the environment to enable wealth to be created. So we're always talking about infrastructure, infrastructure. So railroads, we tell the government, we tell the government, fix the roads. Fix the rail lines, right? Because if you have smooth roads, then people can bring their goods, they can travel, they can go and have meetings. Fix internet. When we then start to relate, we can conduct our businesses in that. So we need physical infrastructure to then grow wealth, isn't it? In the same way, physical presence is the infrastructure that enables community to flourish. Yes, we are going to do certain things, but notice Hebrews 10 tells us that. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another to love and good deeds. Oh, that's what we should be doing in community. That's true, right? Spur one another to love and good deeds. How? Not giving up on meeting together. And then he adds, as some are in the habit of doing. You need to meet together, or else you will not be able to spur each other to love and what? Good deeds. And please don't say, I can be loving on my own. You cannot be loving on your own. You don't know yourself. You know yourself when you meet somebody that is really irritating to you. You start to blame the other person. No, it's you that could not have patience. So you need that irritant to be there so that you can learn patience. You say, no, 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 I, I, I'm not that kind of person. Uh, who did it? You. You are that kind of person. And so it is in being together that we can, I love um, another translation, it says provoke, I think he says provoke. It's not easy. Provoke one another to love and to good deeds. Physical presence is essential for community. They met together. Now, I want to go to the second point, because you ask, if we meet together, then what do we do when we're together? I'm glad you asked. Point number two, devotional unity. Now, the church, even though we meet together, we can be said to a community, whether we are a healthy community, 
is another thing entirely. How do we become a healthy community? Well, it depends on what we devote ourselves to. Notice in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves. So you come together, yes, but what do you do when you come together? You devote yourself, and it gives us four things that these people, early Christians, devoted themselves to. Now, don't forget, devotion is an exclusive and energized commitment to someone or something. I'll say that again. Devotion is an exclusive, so you are pointing, you are directing. It's not scattered. It's focused. Devotion is an exclusive and energized commitment to someone or something. So there are four things he says they devoted themselves to. One, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Notice what he did not say. He did not say they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, did it? He didn't say they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching. He said they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. Right? When you put the article the there, then you are make, being much more specific. So if I say there is, there, 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 are, there is a... Um, um, there's a filling station in Lekki. A filling station in Lekki. You'll be like, duh, yes, there are many filling stations in Lekki, right? There's Fort Oil in Lekki, there's one. There's Petrocam here. There's um, Oando. There's this, which one is that one that causes for uh, Pinnacle. So, which one are you talking about? You know, say, the filling station at the second roundabout. Oh, the filling station at the. Now you're being more specific. You now start talking about Pinnacle. In other words, there are many apostles all around, even today. And it's saying, it's not just, uh, you know, they devoted themselves to apostles teaching. Apostle, apostle, you know that guy that said, apostle will hear about this. He's not talking about that. Whatever that apostle's teaching was. He's talking about what? The apostles' teaching. There is a body of work, of teaching, that the early apostles taught that by God's grace has been preserved for the church even on today. So Jude was telling them to contend for the faith that was once and forever delivered to the saints. Notice he didn't say contend for faith. You know how people say, I have faith. Right? We have faith. You have faith. I have faith. Our faith may be different, but no, he says the faith. Contend for the faith. Or Paul writing to Titus could say something like this. Titus 1 verse 9 about a pastor or an elder. He says, he must firmly hold on to he must firmly hold to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. As it has been taught. Guys, I know that we are all, well, not all, but a lot of us, especially as we, when we are younger, we are very moved to deep things. You know deep things, right? You know there's the, there's the milk of the word. There's the milk of the word for baby milk. Baby Christians like milk. But there is what? The meat of the word. But like that's level two. But for it, there is the strong meat of the word. And then there are the bones. Bones are not for babies. Right? So if somebody is sharing some revelation with you and you're like, God, I, I don't know what you're saying. He said, no, you don't understand. These are the bones. <laughs> what do you do? Run away. Because you start saying this. Do you know what, you know Goliath, Bola, do you know Goliath had 12 fingers? No, I'm serious, you don't know. 
Now, let me tell you, those 12 fingers were in 12 community. It was, you know, because Israel was 12 tribes. You're getting it. The apostles were 12. So Goliath had 12, but it was an alternate community. So when David killed Goliath, God was saying that Israel were his own people and not the Philistines. Woohoo! And someone said, Glory. <laughs> if you hear something like that, what do you do? Run. Why? Because it's not part of the apostles' teaching. Now, how do we know that? That is why creeds are important. When we tell us to get up and say the creed, what are we saying? These are the faith that has once and forever been delivered, what? To the saints. There's one God. There's one Lord. There are three persons in one God. Jesus is God and is human. There's only one gospel, one hope, one faith, one baptism. All of these things are important. And you say, is it boring? Well, it's boring because somebody's just telling you and is saying it in one way. But if the one faith is being communicated to the complexities of our issues, that doesn't mean it won't sound fresh. They devoted themselves. This is what they did. Go through the book of Acts. Notice in Acts chapter 11 here, uh, Acts chapter 11, 26, it says, uh, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. 18 verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Or 28 verse 30, 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Because I said, it's not just the fact that the church likes teaching. It is that it's a historic teaching. If it's not historic teaching of the word, if you get to a church and they start saying, you know what, just forget about all the, we don't want religion, all these old things. God is doing something new. My friend, God has only ever done one thing new. It was 2,000 years ago. Don't get into something new that is sounding, that is going off in so many different directions and that makes you feel like we are a particular special people. There is only one special people, the people who have received the Holy Spirit, the church. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. Spent a little bit of time on that. Let's go to the second one. They also devoted themselves. Notice, now, the NIV unfortunately misses the article. It's not in the Greek. It is the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The Greek word fellowship is koinonia, and it often means to share with someone in something above and beyond the relationship itself. Someone and something above and, in, uh, above and beyond the relationship itself. Now, this could be material things that we see in verse 44 to 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. But, and he says they had all things in common. But it's a little bit more than that. It's not just what they were sharing. It's that they had a participation in something. Now, notice, how did we get into all of this? It's because the Holy Spirit was poured out in the beginning of chapter 2. So when you say the fellowship, the fellowship of what? Remember the fellowship of, they have tokens, the fellowship of the ring, Right? It was nine people that were called together who were meant to go and destroy this ring that was causing more good, more good than harm, right? Around the ring, what? 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 Yeah, of course, now it's one language. What are you doing? You guys are not listening. <laughs> more harm than good. 
So there was a ring, there was a mission with that ring, and with that ring, there was now a fellowship of people that were united around the mission towards that ring. And in many places, like for instance, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, this thing that we all say, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Uh, may the grace of our, uh, may the grace of, uh, you see, the love of God and the koinonia of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This fellowship of the Holy Spirit is saying, all those who have now received the Spirit are now together and they devote themselves to one another. You devote yourselves in the same way these people devoted themselves to destroying the ring. We devote ourselves to this community that the Holy Spirit has birthed in commitment to one another. In the way our familiar relationships, you know, many of us here don't like, let's face it, we don't like our brothers or our sisters. We, or we didn't like them growing up, isn't it? We didn't like them. They always cheated us. They always were favored. But you were committed to them. Why? Blood is thicker than water. There's something else that connected the, us to them, that, was, that transcended us. In the same way, the Holy Spirit commits me and Emmanuel to one another, even if Emmanuel hates my guts. I don't have an option. He has the Spirit of God. And I have the Spirit of God. So we are connected. We've got to find a way to figure it out. And this commitment requires responsibility. I, am res I have the responsibility to love him. And he has the responsibility to hold me to account. That's the part we don't always like. But we hold each other to account so that we don't go astray. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Or 5, 14 to 15. It says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. How can I warn somebody that I don't know I'm accountable to or is accountable to me? Can I just go down the road and see one Christian there? I don't like what he's doing and say, are you a Christian? Yes, you shouldn't be doing that. No. I can't warn those who, disruptive where? He must be, there must be recognition that I belong to this person and he belongs to me. We have one new covenant in Jesus Christ, yes, but when you belong to a local church, we are then covenanted to one another. So it says, warn them. But it's not just the warning and the holding to account. It also says that make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Devoting ourselves to the fellowship. They also broke bread to the breaking of bread. Now, quickly, I'm not getting into argument on it. Most likely this is not talking about the Lord's Supper. It's really just talking about the fact that they ate together. If we go to verse 46, notice what it says. It says they broke bread in their homes and ate together. So it's not talking about that, but it's saying, guess what? This commitment that these people had to one another, it, 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 it was always a lot around food. Food is so important, not a trivial thing. Do you remember when you were growing up, you had friends down the street, and sometimes your parents allowed you to eat in their house, uh, to go to their house. But what did they tell you? If they give you any food, don't do what? Don't eat. Because your parents are only going to allow you to eat where people that they knew and they trusted. Why? Food, eating in someone's house, eating from someone's pot, is a deep expression of unity with the person. 
That's why in our gospel communities, there's always food. Some people even leave their own gospel communities and go to other gospel communities <laughs> because they know there's one gospel community, the jollof rice is second to none. You could eat gospel community members in the house say, woo! Yeah, see, juvenile people, honestly. But the food is important. It's not just for the pragmatic reasons. The pragmatic reasons, but when you are eating, you are staying, and then you are talking. Then he said, this is why David felt so betrayed. He said, the person who has dipped his hand in soup with me has betrayed me. This is why Judas's betrayal was so deep. He went, he dipped his hand in the bread, and he still betrayed him. You betray your master with a kiss, you who have eaten with me. So these people ate together, not just to feed the hungry, but to express unity. And finally, they devoted themselves to, again, the article is missing, they devoted themselves to the prayers. And this represents multiple expressions, uh, different kinds of prayers. Now, in this context, it was in the temple, the temple prayers. So that's, for us, that would be like public prayers, congregational prayers that I pray here. But also, it says that they also praise God in verse 47. So that would also mean that no doubt, they would have been praying also in smaller units, praying for each other's needs. A healthy church that does not pray is an oxymoron. It doesn't, it's a contradiction. We must be church of prayer. Now, I, I say it's not an exhaustive list, but these things are integral. Let me say one more thing on this point before I move to the last point. Sometimes you will say, I need to connect, I need to feel comfortable before I commit. Now, I'll say this, judge the doctrine of the church. Judge some of the, one or two of the expressions, you know, check the health in leadership or whatever, try and see how, if there's integrity that is there. But this whole thing about I need to connect is self-serving. We are called to, most times you will not feel unity, you have to commit first, objectively, before you experience the unity subjectively. You make yourself, again, I'm not saying just go to any church and just join, right? Check some things. But then you have to commit first objectively before you can connect or experience true unity subjectively. So, but there's one more thing about this unique community that is called the church. Because remember, and that takes me to that third point, gospel unity. Remember, the church is not just a social club, right? Everybody, some of us are, you know, part of social clubs, maybe Ikoi club. There's something that joins you there, right? Some of you are, I don't know which other clubs, Rotary and all those things don't really exist again. But there are different kinds, do they? Oh, they do. Well, shows how irrelevant they are. Um, but I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. That was offensive. They're not irrelevant. I just don't know about them. And usually the test of whether something is relevant or not is if I know about them. But we're not getting into that. Um, This community is not just any kind of community. It's a church. Now, you would say, I, I, now, let, let me be, let's be frank. The call to be united in deep community to people who are different from us is difficult. It is. The call to be devoted to make yourself accountable to a group of leaders and members when you would much rather protect yourself, it's not a trivial thing. I get it. And there could be different motivations I can give to encourage us to still be part. So for instance, one is I can say, ah, if, you join, if you join this church, it will benefit you. There are many benefits. 
Now, apart from this encouraging self-centeredness, you will live once it's no longer beneficial to you. What if I said, the opportunity, join this, because we are trying to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos. Join this place, join this church to be part of something larger. But you may be part of a small church, in which case you don't feel part of something large at all. I say, man, this catalyzing is not really working after two years. I think I better join that place where they're, you know. Or again, one other thing is, we can threaten you. That if you don't, if you don't join this church, the plague is coming. All the churches outside there are Babylon. The church, and he said, flee from them because the plague is coming. If you don't join this church, the misfortune that will come on you, the doom that will come on you, anytime you dash your leg against the stone, you remember that you didn't join this church. That is a cult. Don't go near it. Don't go near it. There is a reason, another reason to join. And it has everything to do with the history of the church. Notice in verse, 40, in verse 47, it says that to, towards the end, and the Lord continued to add those who are being what? Saved. These people were people who were being what? Saved. Now, but how were they saved? In verse 44, it calls them, who are the people that were together? It calls them believers. So they were saved because they believed. But notice again, sorry, back to that 47. It says that being saved, uh, sorry, those were added were those who are being saved. In other words, something, there's something, a very disturbing argument that goes on. And honestly, it's, getting, it's really a tired argument. Do I need to be saved to belong to the church? I'm sorry, do I need to belong to the church to be saved? And say, uh, yeah, oh, what about the thief, the thief on the cross? Do I need to be baptized? What about the thief? The thief on the cross is the argument for, is the stupid argument for every single reason that you want to use not to, uh, to avoid certain commandments that are, that are in the church. Now, the thief on the cross thing is an exception. It's an exception, just like you say, oh, um, uh, normally, a, a, a man and a wife, they do things together. What if some people got married today and then eventually one of them got killed? Are you going to use an exception to go against the norm? No. The norm has always been that those who are saved become part of the community. Now, salvation by faith can be distinguished from belonging to the church, but it should never be separated. Now, don't give me Iraq. Right? Again, don't give me exceptions. What is the norm? Those who were being saved were being what? Added to the church. Now, it says that they were believers. So to save, they had to believe a particular message. As you said in verse 41, um, those who believed, accepted this message were baptized. The baptism there was a symbolic initiatory rite into the community. So these people were united by faith. To who? To Jesus Christ, as we see in the beginning, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. Now, but who is this Jesus? Let me tell you this, this Jesus, who this Jesus is, what he came to do, and how this relates to uh, the church. Jesus came and he did two things. He did two things. One was that actually he came. The second was that he was devoted. Let me take those two. Jesus came. 
God, the God of the Bible, saw that the world was in a mess. The world was going astray. Now, he did not do what the God of Islam did, was eventually send a prophet. Right? He sent the prophet. He gave the prophet um, his word. And the prophet said, if you submit to these things, you will be saved. Well, if you submit well, uh, you may be saved. But we'll know when you get there. Right? But he said, what did he do? The thing was so bad, you know what he did? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by Him. There was nothing that was made that He did not make. This Word then became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. He came with His physical presence. He knew that the only way I'm going to be able to save these people was not to stay from afar, was not to connect by Skype. The way he was going to come and save was to physically be present with them and dwell with them. That's the language of community, isn't it? But the second thing that he did is that he was devoted. He was so devoted to these people that he so identified with, with them that eventually he took up the consequences of their own sin. He was devoted to their well-being that eventually said the one thing that will keep them from ultimate flourishing and well-being, I have to take it upon myself. And in his resurrection from the dead, he became this first human being of this new community of people, this new race. And he has now poured out his spirit because he is the Lord of the world. Guys, don't you get it? This unity with Christ by faith and unity in the spirit is the basis upon which why you and I have to be united one another. God has historically done it, but he's also saying, be like Christ. Philippians 2, 1 to 4. And I'll close with that. Philippians 2, 1 to 4. It says this, therefore. Now don't forget, you know what Philippians 2, 5 to 11 is? Right? Philippians 2, 5 to 11 is, um, um, uh, have this mind in you, that is, uh, was in Christ Jesus, who, um, though he was God, you know, he came, he became a servant, he didn't come, all of that, that's 5 to 11. What comes before that? Philippians 2, 1 to 4, listen. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, we know that by faith, so that's being a believer, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing, koinonia, in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, they make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. On the basis of what? If you have been united with Christ, if you get any encouragement from that, if any common sharing in the spirit. Guys, the reason why we are called to be committed to one another is because of the gospel. It's not because we work in the same field. It's not because we come from the same background. It's not because we have the same accent. It's not because we belong to the same ethnicity. And by God, it's not because we always make each other laugh. It's not because it's always convenient. It's not because, look, if you say this person makes me feel awkward, Imagine what it took, the Lord of the whole world, the God of the whole universe, perfect in moral, 
in his moral beauty to come and dwell with sinful human beings. Sometimes he was frustrated. How long shall I be with you? That's what he said. But he was with them. The same God that said, how long shall I be with you? All you people of, of, of little faith said, I will be with you forever from now to the end of the age. When we express and, de- and enable ourselves in community, we're reflecting Jesus Christ. Please, don't reverse this. We find our identity in the church and then we go out on mission to the world. Far too many of us, our community is the world and then we treat the, the church as our mission. We deepen, we deep out. But if we are to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ and to work out what he did by pouring out his spirit, then I must be deeply committed to Itunu. I must see Itunu deeply committed to Toby. I must see Toby deeply committed to Jumoke and Jumoke to Bem and Bem to Festus and Festus to uh, Inkechi and Inkechi to Moses. That makes Jesus look good. The world will know that you have sent me, that God has sent me, when you do what? When you love one another. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it changes us. We thank you for what it does to us. We thank you for how it brings light and life. Father, we come to you repenting of our sins of self-sufficiency, of our sins of trying to allow fear and trying to allow comfort to define us and define what we do, of trying to make us to be connected instead of committed Christians. Lord, we need your help. We ask, O God, for the filling of your spirit, this this spirit that causes this fellowship, that you energize us, O God, not to be so quickly offended, not to be so light-tempered, but to emulate Jesus. To, yes, sometimes receive things, but to speak about those things, even when we're offended, but to speak about it in love. And so, Lord, I ask, oh God, concerning us here in City Church, help us to be a community. Help us to be a true community of deep, thick relationships. People loving loving one another, caring for one another, rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, looking out for each other because Christ looked out for us. We ask that you do this through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.